0: Hello, for the Climate Discussion Nexus, I'm John Robson, and welcome to our latest readout video from our Wednesday wake-up email newsletter, and to the latest, we have you now, from climate alarmists, namely the brief heatwave that set records in the United Kingdom in late July. For three full days, headlines blazed past scorching to serve up hellfire. NBC claimed, Britain is burning, and the CBC said, quote, Europe is living in a disaster movie, end quote. So, it's probably not a good time to mention to journalists... That the satellite temperature record indicates that the planet is no warmer today than it was in 2003. Or to remind them of a 2019 study suggesting that the urban heat island effect has increased the average temperature reading in British cities by 1.5 degrees just since 1990. Still, we do want to note that we check the all-time temperature records by continent, and they show Africa's peak dating to 1931, Antarctica's to 1982, Asia's to 2017, but that's at an airport, otherwise 1942, Europe's to 1977, North America's to the pre-World War I era, 1913, Oceania's a tie between 1960 and 2022 if you include Australia, but otherwise it's 1973, and South America takes the prize with 1905. We also want to remind people that since nobody denies that it's gotten warmer since the little ice age ended, nobody should be surprised that it's warmer now than it was then. The question is how much of the barely one degree Celsius rise since Prince Albert's day can plausibly be blamed on humans, and how much can the fact that we get heat waves plausibly be blamed on that rise? And why, if the temperature rise happened before 2003, did the heat wave only show up now? Instead, the discussion seems to have well gone to hell. There was much triumphal lamentation. The Daily Mail screeched, quote, 40 degrees Celsius Death Valley heat wave could overwhelm NHS and cause thousands of deaths, expert warns, end quote. But the NHS lumbered along, no worse than before, if no better. NBC swooned, quote, pick a spot on Earth. Chances are there's a climate emergency unfolding there right now, end quote. So we say, go ahead, look out your window. Got an emergency going? Didn't think so. Nevertheless, nevertheless, Weather forecasters now use a harsh red background to report temperatures in the 20s on the centigrade scale, whereas a few years back they showed the 30s in cheery green. For all that, it does seem that the UK was quite hot briefly. But we'd really like to know what a carefully constructed network of rural stations like the American USCRN, immune to the urban heat island effect, would say, because even small towns have hot spots, especially near airports and other man-made agglomerations of cement and asphalt. On that note, we remind you also that more American state temperature records still date back to the 1930s than any other decade. And point out that if you've got fairly reliable temperature records from a thousand places in the world, but nothing is going on except natural fluctuation, you're going to get a a once-in-a-millennium event in one of those places. If you've got 10,000 such stations, you'll get 10 of them a year. And if you only focus on those, and ignore other places where it's cooler than normal, which, as Anthony Watts noted, it currently was in Europe, just further east, well, you'll get a nice sulfurous bowl of cherries. We also talk about the problem that climate policy has gone too far and must respect economic reality and the limits of people's tolerance. But that news has yet to reach Canada, where the response to protests in Europe over the energy crisis, its geopolitical problems from dependence on Russian gas, the upheaval in Sri Lanka, and even the fall of Boris Johnson is more the same. Specifically, Ottawa has plans for a cap on emissions specific to the energy sector, in addition to its general plan to reduce economy-wide emissions, and oil producers are actually expressing worry that they may have to cut back production in a world and a country in desperate need of available, affordable energy. So far, it's just a discussion paper, released on July 18. But discussions with Canadian governments tend to be one-way affairs generally, and on climate in particular, the Feds in particular, have shown mighty little flexibility. So evidently, in addition to pummeling the oil and gas sector generally with carbon taxes and vetoes on megaprojects even if they somehow stagger through the regulatory maze, the feds intend to signal it out for a specific, up-close, and personal beating. Here I'm going to interrupt myself, without even banjo music to tell you a fundraising pitch is coming, to thank everybody who's already supporting the channel, and to ask the rest of you to step up with a small pledge or a big one, monthly if you can manage it, by clicking here so that we can continue to produce the videos and the newsletter. There's a lot that goes into it, researching, writing the scripts, video production, and we'd also like to expand our presence on other social networks. That is a big part of getting the message out these days. And by the way, for those of you who've been wondering, yes, we are on Rumble as Climate DN. but there's a lot of other places we need to be. That takes time and effort, and time and effort take money. So again, click here, $3 a month, $5 a month, more if you can afford it, and we'll keep bringing sanity to the climate debate across platforms. And now, back to the show. In the newsletter, we also note that the latest casualty of climate change's capacity to do anything provided it's bad is the migratory monarch butterfly. This determined subspecies of a spectacular creature, which travels multi-generationally from Canada and the US to Mexico and back every year, is apparently heading for the cemetery instead, as International Union for the Conservation of Nature scientists, quote, estimate that populations of the insects have shrunk 22% to 72% over the past decade, end quote. That's a nice precise figure, more settled science. But what exactly has happened in the last decade? well, you know, the drastic alteration in the climate due to a global temperature change of no degrees at all. NBC declared that, quote, "...warmer temperatures, years of intense drought, and severe wildfires, all elements that are exacerbated by climate change, are transforming the land and reducing the availability of plants that these monarchs need to breed and fuel their long migratory journeys." That wildfires also have not increased is no concern for these ecological justice warriors although they do blurt out that, quote, the insects are also affected by the overuse of pesticides and habitat loss from agriculture and urban development, quote. Yeah, that. It also turns out that Western monarchs are in huge trouble, whereas the Eastern variety are struggling, but less so. So, is the Western US warming faster than average and the East not? By the way, if the monarchs do rebound, partly because of more sensible policies on habitat and pesticides, and partly because of natural boom and bust cycles, do not look for these people to say oops on climate change wiping them out. Instead, they'll tell you that global warming has moved on to target some other species, just as they did when those dratted polar bears failed to vanish on cue. Now, at the time that we wrote that newsletter, the apparent failure of President Joe Biden's climate legislation had led American Democrats to an appreciation of untrammeled executive authority that had eluded them in the Trump years. But it's one thing to sweep aside checks and balances and hope nothing bad happens. It's quite another to know what you'd actually do with power if it turned out that you could get away with it. Thus Spencer Bocat-Lindell, a staff editor with the New York Times, and no cheap shots about English majors covering climate please, his BAs in French, argued that Biden could either make conventional energy way more expensive or alternative energy way cheaper to bring about the great transformation, but seemed unable to do either. Still, Moving forward on the climate justice front, the New York Times Climate Forward complained that air conditioners are, quote, a prime example of how global warming is unfair, end quote. And while your parents, or perhaps grandparents, would have said, life is unfair, or what are you babbling about now, author Samani Sengupta has a point. Actually, she has three points, but she only notices one of them. She's right that it's unfair that poor people have trouble cooling their dwellings, just as it's unfair that they have trouble feeding themselves. But... She misses the obvious corollary that any policies that perpetuate or worsen poverty by making energy more expensive are deplorable for the same reason. And then when she insists that, quote, it's crucial to improve cooling, end quote, and, quote, many fixes are already within reach, end quote, she's showing, accidentally, that we really ought to put far more emphasis on effective adaptation and far less on futile prevention, especially if there's very strong reason to think that we aren't causing the current mild warming and therefore couldn't stop it no matter what we did. Now, on that note, before going on vacation and relaxing in the warmth, which is why there was a gap between this newsletter and the next one, we also noted that 15 years ago, the late Fred Singer and Dennis Avery published a book called Unstoppable Global Warming Every 1,500 Years. The authors presented evidence from the scientific literature showing a roughly 1,500-year cycle in the Earth's climate system recently, which they attributed to solar variations, and they argued that since we're on the upswing of a natural cycle, trying to stop the warming would be futile. And over the years, many scientists did come to believe in that 1,500-year cycle in recent years. It's erratic, but these warming episodes, called dansgaard oeschger events, did seem to hit hard and fast over a few decades, roughly every millennium and a half, and the associated cooling would also take place reasonably predictably, though it was slower. It took centuries. Not all researchers agreed that the sun was the culprit. Some thought it was an internal clockwork mechanism within the Earth's climate system. But... While evidence of the global extent of the cycle during the Holocene in the last 12,000 years or so had accumulated, there wasn't evidence of this 1,500-year cycle prior to the beginning of the current Pleistocene ice age 2.5 million years ago. Until now. But a new study by a team of French climate scientists in Nature Scientific Reports found that 1,500-year cycle in sediment layers going all the way back to the Jurassic 155 million years ago. So yes, it's beginning to look as though climate change is real, including significant natural warming on a short time scale over and over again for hundreds of millions years of years, and there's no more room for denial. In the newsletter, we also wrapped up our CDN by the Sea series, at least for now. Having made a trek to Antarctica, we decided to treat ourselves to the sunny south of France, home of those Jurassic-era climate oscillations, for a bon voyage virtual trip to Marseille. Unfortunately, we found that rising seas were due to dampen our digital Beaujolais fromage and baguette in only 344 years. Speaking of France, from the co2science.archive, we got a study of sediments retrieved from 431 meters down in the Bay of Biscay, looking at a variety of proxies, including planktonic foraminifera assemblages, to gauge sea surface temperatures over the last two millennia. And guess what? The Little Ice Age was icy, and the medieval warm period was warm. For the Climate Discussion Nexus, I'm John Robson, and once again, the climate change deniers are confounded by the evidence.